I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Cancer immunotherapies have been promising, CAR T-cell therapies have been costly, effective on less than half of patients, and focused on hematologic cancers. Cytovia Therapeutics is enlisting natural killer cells, part of the innate immune system, to develop off-the-shelf immunotherapies to treat liquid and solid tumors. The company is leveraging a cluster of technologies to produce CAR NK cell therapies, edited NK cell therapies to enhance their targeting, and NK engagers to redirect NK cells toward tumor targets. We spoke to Daniel Tepper, co-founder and CEO of Cytovia, about the case for NK immunotherapies, Cytovia's platform technologies, and the company's pipeline of therapies in preclinical development. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Danny, it's a pleasure to talk to you. We're going to talk about Cytovia, its efforts to harness the innate immune system, and the company's antibody platform to develop what it calls engager antibodies to enlist NK cells in fighting cancer. Let's start with NK cells. Cytovia is not alone in looking to NK cells, but for listeners not familiar with these, can you explain what they are and the role they play in the immune system? Sure. Now, NK cells are, you know, innate immune cells, which basically means this: those are the first line of defense in uh, in newborns, and obviously they they remain with uh, uh, with healthy and sick, you know, individuals over the course of life. And you know, T cells is the adaptive immune system. Uh, so it, it develops as the the uh, the human being you know matures, um, but you know I, I'd like maybe to put a little bit of context. Uh, uh, the immune system has been very well known for for many years, but it's really only in the last ten years that uh, we've um, you know targeted the immune system including through cell therapy, uh, to really change the way we're tackling the challenges of, uh, of cancer therapy. Uh, so the first generation of immune cells that were used as treatments are T cells, and the T cells that are um, coming from the patient are sent to a lab to be engineered and retargeted to a car, a car is like a GPS. So uh, what we call the autologous you know, car T-cells are patients in you know, a T-cells that have been re-engineered before they're injected to the patients. And uh, it's in the last 10 years that they came into the clinic and they were approved in 2017. And I would say the, the, the good news, is it, they demonstrated that in certain cases, you can cure cancer, and patients that had, you know, only 
a couple months of life expectancy, you know, many of them that were traded 10 years ago are still alive. So in that way, you know, it, it, it's a true revolution. The, the limitations are related, you know, first of all, to the logistics. You have to uh, harvest the cell from the patient, send them to lab, we, you know, get them engineers, send them back to the hospital, and you lose precious time in a weeks and initially it was you know even up to a month before the patient in critical situation can be treated. Uh, the second the second limitation which is more associated with with the T cells, not with the manufacturing and engineering, is that in in a number of patients uh, those uh, this treatment with T cells induce cytokine release syndrome. Uh, I think many people are fam- familiar with CRS or cytokine release syndrome because that's also the way you know some patients are dying. Um, you know, following um, SARS-CoV-2 uh, in uh, infection, at least in the in a hospital setting. You also have rejection of the cells, which is called graft versus host disease. So there's a number of issues of safety that reduce the use of those game-changing treatments to only the most sick patients and only in the, the context of, uh, of uh, academic hospitals. So basically, very expensive and restricted to, uh, to a small number of patients. You know, over the last, uh, the, the, the last five years, you've seen emerging uh, allogeneic um, T cells and NK cells, which basically are derived from, from donors. Uh, so you can have, you know, cell banks and they're available on, on the shelf and they can be engineered uh, less expensively. Uh, and then, you know, even more recently, I would say in the last three to four years, we've gone to new generations where basically, you know, immune cells are being differentiated from, from stem cells, from what's called iPSC or uh, induced pluripotent stem cells which are undifferentiated you know, stem cells. And, and through a differentiation and expansion in a protocol, you can make them in T cells and, and particularly in NK cells. And that's what Cytovia and uh, a handful of other companies have been doing. Uh, what's very important to, to understand is that um, on the one hand, you know, the NK cells don't have the limitations of the T cells in terms of... Uh, of safety, but also from a manufacturing standpoint, you can reduce the cost significantly. You basically have a monoclonal master cell bank. If you need to modify the the, the cells through gene editing, you did it at the level of the stem cell before differentiation. So you have a very well-characterized product that... um, then you know you can expand in the billions and and the trillions that reduces the cost. So what does that mean practically for patients? It means that <clears throat> there's a new generation of cell therapy that has only gone in clinical trials, I would say the last two years, that is, you know, remains precision medicine, is lower cost of manufacturing, and can be administered on an outpatient basis. So this is likely to expand the access to many more patients with many different types of tumors. 
not just in the hospital, but also on an outpatient basis. You're developing natural killer cells derived from induced pluripotent stem cells, both unedited and edited ones to provide improved function and persistence. What's the process for producing these cells? So as, as I mentioned, there is a differentiation process, which is the secret uh, <clears throat> recipe that you know we have and, and a handful of other companies have that, um, that allows to differentiate from stem cells into NK cells. And then there's another you know, process which allows to expand to larger number of, of stem cells. And then you, you quite preserve them and they're available off the shelf and they can be used in real time uh, by, uh, by physicians. And why, why do you sometimes choose to edit these? What are you editing them to do? So you can improve the performance of, uh, of the cells. You can pr- improve the persistence. You can improve the, uh, the way it handles the, the resistance of the, the tumor microenvironment. And, and you can do that by either knocking in or knocking out genes. And at Cytovia, we've uh, partnered with Selectus. Selectus has developed the talent gene editing you know, technique, and they're developing with us you know, custom talents that allow to knock out or knock in you know, certain genes and, and make the cell higher performance. In editing these cells, do you ever edit them to target specific types of tumor cells? Yes, and that's you know the insertion of the car. The chimeric antigen receptor is like a GPS that targets the cell uh, to a specific uh, tumor. You're pursuing a, a number of candidates. Your lead candidates are in development for liver cancer and other solid tumors. Why start with liver cancer? What's the need and opportunity? No, sure. That, that's a very good question. You know, the, the, the first element of the, the response is that, you know, many companies are technology platform companies. Uh, we're a, a product, we're a therapeutic product company. So we do have those two platforms of, of uh, iPSC-derived NK cells and flex NK cell engager antibodies, but our goal is to address uh, unmet medical needs. And liver cancer, and specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, which is the majority of liver cancer, uh, is is a huge unmet medical need. Um, currently, even the last generation of treatments, uh, which is a combination of checkpoint inhibitors and, and uh, Avastin, uh, the you know you get under thirty percent of partial response, and only six point eight months of progression-free survival. That's you know far less than satisfactory, and and previous treatments had even lower you know lower response. When you look at the number of patients with HCC, you know it's it's over seven hundred thousand patients. About half of them are. Uh, in uh, in Asia, so it's very prevalent in in China and in, in in Japan, but there's also a fair number of them in the U.S. and in Europe. You know, probably around 
40,000 uh, patients in the U.S. and maybe 50,000 uh, in, in, in Europe. So that's, that's quite prevalent for, for, for cancer. Um, so there's an unmet medical need, and we have a way to address it. And the way we address it is that we're targeting GPC-3. GPC-3 is expressed uh, on HCC cells. Uh, it's also present in circulation. So you know patients that have high GPC-3, and those are lower uh, GPC-3, and there's a correlation with the severity of the disease. And what we attempt to do is to redirect the NK cells toward the HCC cells, and the NK cells' role is to kill the, the HCC cells. So we have this approach through the, through the NK cell engager antibodies, and this can work on its own in patients that are less severe and have enough functional NK cells, but in patients that are more severe and are deficient in functional NK cells, we have the opportunity of adding our iPSC-derived NK cells or INKs as additional soldiers. Because basically the, the NK cells are the soldiers that go and kill the uh, tumor cells. Uh, and what we have demonstrated for now in experimental models is that the combination of, of flex NK cell engagers with either peripheral blood NK cells, so endogenous NK cells, or with the INKs, uh, you know, are very effective at, at destroying the, uh, the tumor. So what we will do is we will file INDs, and then we will bring in early 2023 uh, the flex NK cell engager antibodies and the NK cells to the clinic. We will test each of them separately as well as in combination and then assess, you know, what's the optimal treatment for what patient group. You're testing your lead experimental therapy, CYT303, both by itself and, and with these uh, INK cells. Are you doing anything to determine which patients might expect to be more responsive to one or the other? So, you know, 303, CYT303 is the flex, the GPC3 in a flex NK cell engager, uh, and CYT100 are the INK cells. So the first step is to do those escalation with the cells and, and with the, uh, the engager and to determine what's the optimal dose uh, and then go into an expansion protocol where we're combining you know, the, 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 optimal, the optimal dose. So in, in the phase one, two, the goal is to demonstrate that you have clinical activity that is better than the current treatment and then I would say, you know, there's a second step where you, you look, you're looking to, to define which subgroup of patients um, are the most responsive. I would say that, you know, we are in a favorable situation because GPC-3 is expressed on 70 to 80% of the HEC cells, and it's not expressed at all on healthy adult cells. 
So there's not really a need uh, early on in the clinical trials to you know differentiate uh, you know patients that express it or not. I mean, if you remember back in the day, you know ER2, which was a mar- which is a marker of breast cancer, is expressed only in a minority of women. So you had to to select the ER2 positive you know patients before initiating treatment with Orceptin. This is not the case with our treatment for liver cancer. Is there any thoughts about testing these in combination with CAR T-cell therapies? No, there would not be a rationale to do that. However, to test it in combination with, you know, checkpoint inhibitors such as uh, uh, Keytruda and Obdivo, I think would make sense. Uh, they're currently the standard of care treatment in, uh, in HCC, but as I said before, even in combination, the response, you know, the, the response rate is not satisfactory. And we know that, you know, patients that do not respond or stop responding to the checkpoint inhibitors have a lower number of cytotoxic NK cells. So adding NK cells should improve the, the the percentage response. You're waiting to begin human clinical trials. What's known about the safety and efficacy of these therapies from preclinical studies that have been done to date? So, I mean, we know uh, at the clinical level that NK cells um, are, you know, very safe, even when administered at a billion cells or more, multiple times and in multiple cycles that has been demonstrated by uh, uh, by a couple other companies uh, the uh, you know so far in uh, in the experimental model we've shown efficacy and we've shown safety we're still undergoing the last round of um, of safety studies you know prior to getting into patients but we're confident, you know, based on the initial data that uh, we'll pass that test and we'll be able to go into, uh, into patients. You also have a platform for developing multi-specific antibodies designed to engage natural killer cells. How does this technology work? So I mentioned it, you know, the, the 303, CYT303 is a flex and case cell engager. So... It's a tetravalent antibody. Uh, it's actually tri-specific. You have um, it binds simultaneously to the NK cell and to the tumor cell. In in, in the, 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 the the case of 303, to the HEC cells through GPC3, and to the NK cells through an activating receptor called NKP46. It also has a fully functional. FC, which supports a longer half-life, but also allows to bind to another activating receptor of NK cell called CD16A. And how do these embodies work to enlist NK cells in the fight against cancer? So as, as I was saying just, just a few minutes ago, uh, they're constructed with a flexible linker, and this flexible linker allows, you know, one arm 
to bind to the NK cell and the other arm to bind to the tumor cell simultaneously. So it basically, by binding to the NK, activating the NK cells, it redirects the NK cell to kill the tumor cell. Do you expect these to have value as monotherapies or would they only be used in combination with other therapies? Uh, we believe that, uh, and we've demonstrated in the experimental model, that they have value in monotherapy provided the patients as, as sufficient soldiers, you know, basically uh, endogenous uh, functional NK cells. Once that number goes down, then you, you want to bring additional soldiers, and that's where uh, injecting uh, INK cells allows to replenish the, uh, the army with uh, healthy fighters. I wanted to ask you about two recent transactions. You recently went public through a merger with a SPAC. Given what it's like to be a public biotechnology company these days and the availability of large funding through private capital, why did you decide to do this deal and how much were you able to raise and what's the case for being a still preclinical public company? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it's a very good question. Uh, the majority of the companies in late preclinical stage or early clinical stage that we compete with in cell therapy um, are public companies. And the reason that they chose to be public companies is because the amount of capital available is, is much larger than for private companies. There's only a handful of private companies that get enough capital to that sustain them long enough to get you know, clinical data. So it is true that the markets in general and for biotech specifically have been challenging in the last six months. You know, essentially we had an institutional round in 2021, uh, but um, uh, by the time we were considering a crossover round and, uh, and an IPO, uh, the, the, the markets were really closed for that avenue, and we, we did meet the management of a SPAC uh, that has substantial capital and trust and had a very compatible team of, uh, of uh, seasoned entrepreneurs and executives that we believed was the best vehicle for us to, to become a public company. Um, so by the time of the, the closing of our merger, uh, we expect to have around $100 million in capital, and that has been disclosed in the public filings and in the investor presentation. And the $100 million is, uh, is a two to two and a half years of burn rate for the company to advance our lead programs and particularly the, the HEC program. You also recently formed Cytolinks Therapeutics, a, a joint venture focused on developing your therapies in greater China and beyond. What did this transaction do for Cytovia? Um, yeah, it, it, it is a, it's forming Cytolinks uh, was a strategic moment for Cytovia because, you know, first of all, it, it brought us the, the first set of institutional investors. But second, you know, gave us access to China, which is already the second largest pharmaceutical market 
in the world, and I'm talking not in number of patients, I'm talking in dollar value. Also, you know, China is the largest HCC market. I think I mentioned earlier that there was about three, uh, 300,000 patients um, in China with uh, which HCC. So that gives us a competitive advantage in the race for new treatment in HCC because as part of the global development, we can enroll patients not only in the U.S. and Europe and Australia, but also in China. What's the opportunity you see in China for these types of therapies? It's significant given the unmet medical need and uh, the large population. Now, I have to say that uh, you know maybe many people view China as as being uh, a market that is uh, you know lacking innovation. I think it has changed uh, in the last you know even five years, including with a number of. Uh, of Chinese Americans returning to uh, to China, there is a lot of innovation in China, and you have companies like Legend, who is now a leader with their myeloma, you know, CAR T uh, therapy. So it's also access to excellent scientists. Um, it's also we're a shareholder of Cytolinks, um, so we have an interest uh, beyond the license of our GPCC program. We have an interest in the success of the company. And we see it as a platform, not just for the Cytovia pro, uh, products, but also to bring other products from, from the U.S. And, and from Europe to the China market. And then eventually it may be a source of innovation that will also bring you know, products either to Cytovia or to other companies in the West. Daniel Tepper, co-founder, chairman and CEO of Cytovia. Daniel, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.